Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. Tony Nash, back with you again. I'm the CEO of Booktopia. And today, of course, I have another author, Lisa Sisson, at, or Sisson, it depends, whatever your way she told me, you can say it whatever way uh, you like. And the reason why is we don't care. We want you to buy her new book, Risk Starts and Ends with People, Demystifying Risk for Executives and Leaders. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you making the time to allow me to, to speak with you today, Tony. No worries. So um, I've got your book in my my hands and it's it's a beautiful kind of like I could buy this and read this on a plane kind of size, which is which is always, you know, for me, because I like the information in in chunks. Um, was it difficult to write did, or did the words flow easy because you've been doing yeah. this kind of work for a while? It's been a, it's been a bit of a, a, a story behind the book. So when I originally started writing, I actually didn't realise uh, I wasn't planning on writing a book at that point. So I was unpacking my brain, um, sharing the insights around our system for risk and also our protect framework. And um, But as I sort of wrote, I was sharing obviously a lot of my experience, experience I worked with a lot of clients over the years and different things. And it literally exploded out of me. And um, and everyone laughs, but there's a lot of people who've been on my journey with me. And that's the one thing that they've all said is how quickly this book came to be. And um, and for me, it was one of those things where I, once I got about, I don't know, about 30,000 words into the book, I, I kind of actually said, look, I, oops, I think I'm writing a book. And that was actually the name of the title for the first four months of the book. Um, because it, it really was just that unpacking process. But one of the things I, I really wanted to do when I went through the process was make sure I was using common language and simplifying. It's been really important because risk is one of those areas and risk management is one of those areas that is very can be very complex. Uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors um, and people kind of trip over themselves with the complexity that, that, come, that comes with risk. And so one of the things I want to do is remove the myths and just simplify it, common language that anybody could pick up the book and read the book and take value from it. So that was the one of the key objectives. Mm. I mean, we as a listed company and before we were listed, we put our risk register together. Um, it's never ending. I mean, just tell us a little bit about like you could just what's the risk of of um, anything and therefore, it's it's you just keep going down further, deeper and deeper, and into <laughs> hole. Forever hole. I know. So, hole. how do you deal with that? How do you how do you simplify that? How do you make get, you know, kind of say, look, you, you 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 could you can itemize all those things, but you'll never. It'll. I mean, I know that people talked about that with the pandemic as well, and then lo and behold, you get one. Um, but yes. Um, <laughs> so, how, how do you help pe- companies kind of? consolidate that? Well, I guess there's a couple of things to think about. So um, you're right, risk can become extremely complex when you start thinking of every type of scenario item and all the rest of it. And so, and there's a lot of great information that's been provided through the years. I mean, there's a lot of great frameworks that are out there, but what it's become is very much a tick box orientated process that companies go through. And what they tend to do is follow this process. So they have a piece of paper or a or a framework that they've used to justify and and state that they're actually trying to reduce risk, right? They're trying to mitigate risk or they're sticking to that tick box, ISO compliance type type things. I mean, we do our own. So, you know, we we know that sort of insight quite clearly, but it is 
very tick box orientated, but they forget the most important factor that I find within the whole risk management uh, process and, and regardless of what framework you use, is that they have this habit of talking at you and telling you what you need to do versus realising that people touch every aspect of your business and the only way you can truly execute your risk management strategy or plan is through your people. And so if you aren't considering the fact that you need to write your strategy with and through with your people, because otherwise you're going to execute, then really how are you actually managing risk effectively? And there's a couple of reasons that, reasons that I say that is that one, because yes, people touch every aspect of the business. They're making uh, decisions and taking actions every day that either provide value to your organization and opportunity or potentially risk and harm. Um, but when we have these frameworks that are out there and because they're so heavily, uh, I don't know, just heavy in legal requirements, um, sort of uh, looking at sort of governance, compliance, all these types of things around it, the, the wording is heavy, the, the, load that, the load they put onto their people is quite heavy associated to it. The consequences of getting things wrong come into play. People feel like, it, you know, if they make a mistake, it gets weaponized against them. There's a whole change in sort of mindset, which is why people fear risk or roll their eyes at it. You know, that's the reason it's got such a negative connotation to it, um, to risk. But they forget that if they don't get their people in, engaged and involved and part of that, then they're never truly going to be able to manage risk in their organisation effectively, which is why we actually say risk starts and ends with people. And so if you're not doing it with, through and by your people, then how are you really managing risk? I mean... Boy, I've got a thousand questions here, especially as a CEO. It's because we're, you know, like I'm thinking about it all the time, and or, or I've got people who are thinking about it all the time, particularly. And we've got a distribution center, right? So there's, there's, there's a lot of moving parts. There's, there's forklifts, there's conveyors, there's a lot of automation. That's very different to the risk um, of people who work from an office, or even the risk that um, companies are now having to consider around or everyone working from home versus working from the office and what what about the this safe environment let alone the mental health risks and stress that um we haven't really kind of um understood yet about what being social and getting out of your house and 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 getting on public transport does for your well-being we, we really don't know do, do you do you consider all those things? Because when you even just those few things that I've rattled off there between pallets sitting on a shelf versus someone working from home versus what about even exchange rate changes in in the global mm. markets? Mm. Like it's, it's can you see it's really never ending. Do you, you or do you focus on the people part of risk? There? So. Oh, so so to, to answer your question, so you're right, there are so many different aspects. So here's something to kind of think about, and it kind of gets to the premise of even what the book's about, and, um, and that regardless if you're talking about a natural threat to you, whether it's weather, fire, you know, because you've got all those risks associated to your lives and that as well, or whether it is related to cyber or anything like that, um, there's, a, there's a common thread. It's when is the intersection with people which is what motivates us to start looking at these types of threats. And we, I mean, as humans, as people, we're incredibly creative. I mean, look at the formulas, the complex formulas we come up to understand so we can try and 
um, manage and mitigate, reduce risk. I mean, around things that we believe are important because really what risk is, is really identifying things that are important to us and that can be people, places or things that are important to us and we want to reduce the amount of harm or stop harm happening to those things. So it is a simple concept, but it's about what we've decided. I mean, who would have thought, you know, you look at your phone, pick up your phone, look at your phone, there's data on that phone and we're, we're so protective of all these sorts of things. Whereas any other species on our planet today would not care <clears throat> if they looked at a phone or something else, they don't care. So it's the association and what we as people have created the complexity around these things. So whether it's pallets, whether it's data, whether it's exchange rates, these are all these sort of areas. And this is why, you know, kind of peeling back some layers to, to get it back to understanding people, uh, why it's important, to whom it's important the types of areas that there are threats and, and considerations and vulnerabilities that are going to be there. Some we can see, some are unknown, some we're avoiding, you know. So, you know, because one of the things that has been brought up a lot, especially around the pandemic, was the, the response, you know, and also hearing things that were unprecedented. I mean, I'm sorry, if I hear that word one more time in regards to that, it was, it was kind of really frustrating because it's not unprecedented it was just that we had a failure of imagination to think that it would happen in our lifetime and on the scale and the way it affected us considering we're you know globally connected you know species today you know we travel easy and so back to your point about the mental health and all these things that to consider so we are absolutely attuned to a range of these different things and we, we don't fly solo so we actually have a whole partner ecosystem that we work with specialized people with regards to things like purpose, decision thinking, uh, technologies, for example, the risk associated with that in the next five years, next generation technologies and all the things, supply chain type things that are going on. So, yes, we as a, a group, um, as a business ourselves, we are keeping very much across a lot of areas because of that intersection with people. We know the importance. Um, and we also know, though, through these things that we fear or these things that we get concerned about, there's actually also opportunities because sometimes the, the, what we're finding from the risk standpoint is we're asking questions we don't know how to get the answers to or don't have enough information or we have the wrong information and we're collecting a lot of information but not on that specific area and so there's always risk and opportunity which is why I, you'll, you'll often hear me say that you know risk opportunity are two sides of the same coin and um, so it's just a matter of getting people to stop the noise for a little bit and, and depending on, on the topic, so we go through a process. We're not here to, to teach people how to um, change what they're doing. What we, we do is actually help them to focus, bring in, maximise their own people, resources and knowledge, but also help bring in structures and other points of view and information that can help them make better decisions. Because at the end of the day, risk management is really about decisions and actions that they take. Mm. Does so that help? Look, it's, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is that um, it's like one of those, it's a, it's the world, world's biggest onion, like you just <laughs> keep peeling away layers and then there's more distinctions and more considerations that everyone needs to um, just put on the, on the plate. But then you go, well, we really, we do need to um, put some work into risk mitigation there and education training and so forth then there's others where you just go well we know that's a risk but um are we really going to have some are we going to put some process in place 
So or out make of, a decision, out, right? Out of curiosity, sense. then, um, you've got here demystifying on the front cover, demystifying risk for executives and leaders. So, mm. do you is, do you feel this book um, is really written for uh, that layer of of people within an organization, or is it also um, for people who are being led, who are in teams, um, who can um, benefit from from reading this and understanding it? What, what's your thoughts? Well, I guess I'll, I'll actually maybe answer that by giving you some insights because my book's gone out to a, quite a large audience now, which has been phenomenal. So I base it on sort of feedback. So when you write a book and, you know, you put it out into the world, it really doesn't mean much until you get the feedback, hearing the value that you get in it. So I'm I'm very much about where the rubber hits the road versus, oh, you know, these great sort of concepts. Um, and so the feedback for me has been phenomenal because I've actually provided it to some of the, the hardest critics that, that I actually know, uh, both locally and internationally, you know, so right in from a government standpoint, you know, and a range of even other analysts who actually consult into senior members of our government, uh, overseas government. In fact, you'll see that the forward I have written is by the former uh, assistant di um, director of CISA um, out of the US. So, you know, I haven't been shy. I've given it to uh, senior executives. Uh, I've given it to within the public safety sector. So within emergency management, emergency services, large corporations. So it really has gone out there. And what my request of them um, was because when I wrote the book, it wasn't about I wanted to write a book. I wanted to make sure that I was providing insights and frameworks, something that was tangible and usable for people to get this sort of concept so they can start to navigate through risk more effectively. Um, because, you know, you talked about the chaos of it. We talked about that as a risk vortex, by the way, where little things start to happen and organisations are losing their focus on their North Star because they're so caught up in managing risk and those that onion layer you talked about that they've actually lost sight of what they're trying to truly achieve and the things that they believe in. So we actually say that sometimes your risk management strategy is in conflict with your identity, with who you are as a business. And so we try and help them really understand they can still have that identity and keep that focus and be effective in their risk management. But so back to your question of the audiences, I've had tremendous feedback. I've been waiting for someone to really rip it apart and challenge me in areas that's been to academia, like I've actually had a university reach out to me who want to uh, sort of bring that into, turn it into a program they want to put through the university. So it is getting tremendous uptake from people because they're connecting with the fact we're talking about missing the most important part. We're not trying to, to um, compete with the work that's already been done that's effective. What we're trying to do is enhance and, and actually make sure you're doing it through your people because the reality is, and you know, ask yourself the question, if you are not having your people engaged in your risk management, risk management strategy, then really how effective is that strategy in itself? So you've, you've kind of got to ask that question, right? Mm. So, I mean, I totally agree in terms of people. So that, but just to, so I get some clarity around it then, because there's, there's definitely the issue around not having systems to support the people, which then, um, gives people um, the flexibility to make up um, whatever they want to do to get a job done, which is now outside of what we agreed was the original way that we were going to do something, which then brings risk into the equation. Um, so systems, but it sounds like to me that what you're talking about is, a, is much more than that, is much more than having 
um, really rock solid systems that um, people really can't deviate away from. Um, just explain more about the people. So, yeah, well, systems are incredibly important for people. So having processes and systems so people kind of have almost like their map, they know what good can look like, right? So we agree that there's a there's a point for it, but there's often one of the challenges and one of the myths I talk about in risk management is that whole thing around um, there's a, a lot of corporates kind of move towards systems before people. So they're so heavily reliant on their systems that um, they're actually creating different kinds of risk. And, and a couple of things to consider. So one of the things, you know, when you think about your most valuable resource, so the question is, you know, and every company is going to answer this slightly differently, but what is the most valuable resource in your, in your organisation? What's the most valuable resource in your organisation? Customers. That's the most valuable resource, yeah? I mean, if we didn't have them, we wouldn't have a business. Yeah, well, so we kind of look at it slightly different. And even back to, if you go like to the Richard Bransons of the world, if you look after your people, your people will look after your customers, you know? And so for, for us, it's always been around an organization's people because if, you, if you've got customers, but your systems and your people aren't effective, your customers, customers won't stay long. You know, they won't have the service and the, and the quality of service that you're looking for, the quality of goods that you're looking for. And so... For us, it's really around making sure that within your own business that you've got people connected to all the things that you need them to be. So here's a couple of things to consider that we come across quite regularly. So, for example, especially in large organisations where they employ people, um, often these people are being lured into companies, um, you know, under, I don't want to say like a false uh, pretense of what the culture in the company is like, but they might be lured in because it's such a competitive world out there and so many organisations believe that they're going to share their values, their mission and all the rest of it. But for some, it is statements on banners, whereas others actually truly do live in, and, and breathe it. But what we're seeing is a couple of things that are kind of concerning that kind of flow into this is that one, um, through the pitch that these companies, through their promoting of their organisation, they're bringing people into, you know, their company with skills, knowledge, and maybe when the people are showing up, they're not actually finding the, the environment, the opportunity to work in the environment is what they've promoted. For example, and this gets into the systems piece, they might promote, you know, uh, trust, empowerment, um, you know, all words of those sorts of areas, you know, um, and they get into an organisation that is so uh, rigid in their processes because they're trying to manage risk and they kind of feel that humans, their people can sometimes, you know, be their greatest risk because that's, that's a statement if you're not doing it well, right? Um, you know, through air and different things like that. So they, they have such rigid systems that they actually impede the ability of their people to be able to fulfill their function and often fulfill their KPIs. And so this is where some of the challenges happen because one, people are coming in all motivated, want to be a part of your purpose and your mission that you're advertising, want to contribute want to look after customers, whether they're internal customers or external customers, and want to go on this journey. And then when they get into the, the organisation, they start finding they, they can't contribute in the way they thought they could that you were advertising. They aren't even able to meet their KPIs because the processes have, have become so, so comprehensive and restrictive that it's impeding their ability. And they haven't, the company's asking for an outcome 
And so some of these people start having to get creative and how they actually get those outcomes. And I cannot tell you how many companies I go into where people are shortcutting processes and systems in ways that are exposed in the organisation far greater than the system they originally introduced to resolve a risk or a, a process they introduced to resolve a risk. Um, so from that alone, but then even worse still, that the effect that they're having because they're um, not connecting to the people, their people become sort of, you know, disengaged, disillusioned um, because they can't turn up, contribute in a way that they thought they could. They took this job over another job and, and they don't feel they can really contribute in that way. And they feel like they're being penalised through the processes, that they become disengaged. And, you know, you're, you've probably seen the same stats. Gallup talk about 80% of people are not engaged or disengaged within organisations. And why that is such a significant concern for me, especially around the people, is that when you are disengaged or not engaged, you're inclined to make more errors you're inclined to dismiss things more. So if you see a potential problem, threat, risk, your attitude is like someone else's problem, you know, that's their problem or it's the business's problem. But the reality is that two-thirds of all insider threats are unintentional. And we have such a massive issue, and I hate throwing in the word insider threat. I, I swear they need to change the, the terminology. Let's just talk about it as an insider threat by a person. Um, but two-thirds of them are done unintentionally. And so when you start to look at the stats and the fact that, that is a growing number every year um, with regards to the types of things we're seeing within risk around that, you, you've got to start looking at the whole picture. You've got to start realising, which is why I keep you know, saying to people, you must work with your people um, and through your people to really manage risk more effectively. It's great to have the processes, the technology and all the other things that you may need as long as you've thought about it how it either helps or hinders your people. So um, if you think about, like let's say I do know companies who only sell eBooks or audio, e-audio, like it's all digital. And the customers go onto the website, they have, um, they, they don't have to deal with anybody. It's all automatic. It's a SaaS solution. There's no, and the, the team is really, really small. So, um, when you think about those kind of companies um, where they've they've really empowered the customer to to complete a transaction, think about some of the websites that we go to where we we order uh, airline tickets or uh, travel and things. Well, it's been a while since we've done a bit of that, but think about like we do we do often do things um, paying the RTA in New or New South Wales roads and for those. Uh, in New South Wales for your car registration. So much now is automated, whereas in the past we used to deal with people. Um, when you think about those organizations and what they're doing to try and um, uncouple themselves from having to, because a lot, nine, over 95% of our orders that we do, we'll ship 9 million books this year. Um, we don't have to deal with customers. So therefore the customer is super important. Sure, we've got a team of people that need to pick and pack and ship the physical book, of course, and and that's where that culture that you talk about and and their engagement and and their pride in terms of what you know, what that looks like when the book finally gets to the customer can be very varied in terms of their own personal. Um, they might look at a book and go, "That's got a little 
in a corner folder, that's not good enough for me, not good enough for my customer. And so they'll they'll put that in damages and get a fresh one, which which is not going to upset the customer and they've got certain pride. Whereas others, it's just, you know, I picked it, I packed it, I shipped it, and they don't care about how the customer look. So when you work with organizations, is there um um do, do you try and sit with them to try and work out how how you can um streamline a lot of the process so there's less reliance on people which is of course you know what a, a lot of what uh, demings did in the 50s in in car ma automation manufacturing and so forth how, how do you think about companies in that way yeah so you're talking about the digital sort of footprint everyone is having that sort of digitized approach and look most companies have an aspect of that today. I say most because not all, but most companies do. And and it's a it's a good thing, right? Having a balance and offerings that can to be available to the customers. You know, for me, it's not for me to to judge one way or the other. It's one of the things that we often talk about. You know, when you go and work with clients, regardless if they um, are a very small team and have maybe a, a, a much larger uh, technology based you know, um, footprint because of the type of work they do, like you said, or, you know, and through the supply chain, often technology is a massive part of that. But there's a few things to consider. Um, and that one is that there's always people. So as part of it, um, because no business can even be established without human beings being part of the actual business itself. And so the understanding even regardless of a small size or a large size, the importance of the people, how you're supporting the people, and also their connection to what you're doing. Um, because without sounding awful, there, there, there have been way too many situations where there have been disgruntled employees that have done considerable harm by accidentally sharing um, sensitive information or purposes you know, providing sensitive information out there. And, and I'm not going to name cases. You can go on the internet anytime and there's there's plenty of them, you know, globally to, to see these extreme examples of both small and large companies. And so you've always got that person part. Um, and I'm not saying that all people are bad because I, I, I don't believe that. But if people are connected to your business and they believe that you care about them and and, and want to protect them and look after them, then they're in, in kind, they, they tend to want to protect the company. So they're more inclined to make sure bad things don't happen to a company that's looking after their well-being. So let's let's park the people to one side. Then you've got the whole technology piece in itself. So, you know, I love technology. So I've been around technology for, you know, decades, especially niche and emerging technologies. I've got a real passion for that. And anyone who's been in the space long enough um, knows that there are a lot of vulnerabilities in technologies and including through, you know, software as a service, some of these biggest brands that we work with and we are so dependent on are fighting a massive battle. There is a battle in the digital world with whether you like it or not, okay? And so cybersecurity is a massive area and, you know, we've got major issues around cyber um, fatigue for a lot of people who play in that space. And we've got shortages on resources, human knowledge, and all the rest of it. Because at the end of the day, to go and do these battles, you, you require people, right? You require people, knowledge, skills, resource. And, and as much as we can use technology, they need people, um, either side of them, right? Um, the receivers being people with the customers, people using the way through and the people creating it. So we've got to keep that in mind. So then you start looking at the supply chain part of it from both your technology standpoint um, and the partners that you might have as you're sourcing technology, their supply chain, um, because if they're getting certain kinds of access to technologies, you've got to do your homework 
see how they're protecting you if you're doing using a another platform whether it's AWS or something of, of the like similar to that. Um, you know, the bigger ones often are going through and being proactive proactive and looking and ticking off the boxes to try and support you so you have less likelihood of being exposed. It does not completely remove that. So you must do your homework and the configurations are all slightly different and there's all these different things you got to do. This is not easy stuff if you're going to go down, but you've got to keep it in perspective as to what you're trying to achieve, the, the level of risk there really is to you and make informed decisions and then start to come up with a plan that is suitable not based on all the noise that you get, but what makes sense like for you. This is where it's so important to have those sort of conversations. But then we get into the actual supply chain of things themselves. And the COVID situation has actually has been the most heartbreaking thing to observe, you know, um, through, through our sort of lifetime. But it has absolutely highlighted, again, the reliance around supply chain that we have um, and also the importance of people in that supply chain. We can't get ships printed because people can't go into, you know, these um, massive production areas to be able to start printing them out. So it, we can't remove it all. So, you, you know, you've got to start thinking, this is why we also work with some very specialised partners that we have um, who literally are focusing on some of the things you're talking about. They are looking at globally uh, the trends around supply chain, some of the things that are happening in the technology space, so we don't need to be all things. We, we connect all the time and we're looking at these things regularly, but we can turn to them to get additional support and insights to be able to provide to like our clients and things like that. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm with you. There's all these things that's great to be able to have the confidence to, to use technology today. But just, you know, even recently looking in the news, there's all these vulnerabilities that keep popping up so um, and they get exploited and often exploited by people. So we got to keep that in mind. Starts yeah. and ends with us, right? <laughs> I'm talking to author Lisa Sisson. Risk starts and ends with people, demystifying risk for executives and leaders. Please buy her book if if risk or the the idea of considering what um what risks are out there and how that may impact your your business, which means your personal income, your business income, profitability, and the people that you work with, then uh, then you, you should seriously consider this. Can I ask you then, Lisa, is this one of those books where it's more of a manual where you actually need to start from one end and work your way through to get to the end? Or can it be like, shut your eyes, think of what you're dealing with, and then open it up on a page and go, disarming the gun, you know, and it's like, okay, well, what is all... And then all of a sudden you're reading something which is relevant to you today. What, what are your thoughts about your book in that way? Well, I, I guess, I, again, I'll, I'll speak through people who, who have read the book. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty easy read. So I, I would personally probably recommend sort of going from start to finish. I mean, you could, you could literally pick it up and, or find a chapter and go through it. It's not, it's not that hard a thing to do. But the reason that I kind of say start from the beginning is that I can't tell you how many people have said to me as they've been reading through, they've been nodding and agreeing and seeing themselves or seeing somebody else. So it's been quite a, a you know, a journey for them. It's, it's one that we are trying to make relevant to you. So it's not like normal traditional risk management books where, you know, it's, it's so focused. We really do bring people to the center of all this because it's the most important part and it's the fundamentally the biggest missing part that things haven't been focused through people in risk management, which has been 
you know, is crazy because how can it not be? How can it not be? How can we not be focused our efforts through people because they are the ones who are going to execute, right? They are the ones who understand the environment and they're also the ones who are going to execute. So, you know, you could do either, but I would highly recommend um, reading through and it is a really easy read. Everywhere the feedback, like I said, people see themselves in it. So if nothing else, it's a good reflection point. You know, I agree. I went, I mean, as I said, I haven't read um, the book I've got in my hand and I would say for those that are listening, it looks like a pretty straightforward, easy read. You'd power through it pretty quick. A um, couple of hundred pages, but it's a small size format um, book. So it would, won't take too long. And that's what you want to have. You want to have something that's going to prov- um, provoke your thinking and 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 maybe reflect on the way that you view risk. Um, one of the things that we do with um, our risk register is we look at um, all the things that could be um, a risk, not all, but uh, we, we list a number of things. And then we have the likelihood. So from one to five, you know, if if uh, the, the world's internet um, decided to stop for some reason, um, and for Booktopia, that would be an issue. So therefore, it's a five. Um, but the likelihood of, of that happening is, is a one or even probably a 0.5 of a, of a of, you know, very, very low. It may happen for some moments, but it won't happen uh, continuous. So do you also, is there, do you have like a way of helping people to, to kind of um, sort out and prioritize or think about certain things in a way that, are there other things we, we do, you know, well, how, you know, what's the impact of that or how, if that happened, you know, how bad would it be? And then we look at it in terms of the likelihood, because if there's a, a five and it's a three, then it's 15 and therefore it gets to the top of the list of potential risk, for example. So do you, do you, are there other things that we should be considering when we think about all the things that could happen? Well, like, well, absolutely. So there's there's so many, there are some very um, well-known frameworks and you've, you've talked through them and the, the, the importance of this um, approach is to ask questions and to start thinking and considering you know, the consequences, and you've mentioned, you know, you know, there can be some that are high, con- high consequence, low probability. Um, you know, pandemics were one of those things too, right? So, you know, we've got to, and we're in this, we've got to start reminding ourselves that if we prepare ourselves, so regardless of what sort of framework you, you, you use, and, um, but if we start asking the questions and preparing ourselves and ensuring that we as individual and our people are equipped to this, you know, make it as part of your, uh, sort of we call it about being pro-risk, you know, part of being pro-risk within your organisation and, and and not fear these things happening, but knowing how, because certain things you just you just can't uh, work towards doing. Some of them, like you said, are so, the consequences can be significant, the prob- the likelihood is just so insignificant of them happening, um, but there's, there's just stuff that you just can't do. Like, you know, if, if we... If we have a nuclear bomb drop, you know, like we're going to have things to worry about. Or like you said, one of the things that I think people really should think about is losing connectivity and power. So we've already seen there have been attacks on critical infrastructure within our country. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And that could be a short time, that could be a long time, who knows? And we, we take a lot of comfort, um, you know, comfort in knowing that we've had things. It, it may not necessarily have to be, related to a cyber attack, it could be related to a natural disaster, 
we don't know. And so we, what we've got to do, though, is that if you continue to have them on your list and, and the things that make you feel really uncomfortable and you fear them and they're so hard that you put them in the too hard basket, which I see all the time, don't ease into the discomfort. And this is part of the thing that we do. We have this whole approach that we talk about as a safe zone where we start to put things onto the table, we ease into it. And I keep saying to people, you know, risk is a pathway to opportunity. And for some companies, transformation. Because when you start to add these things on there and you look at them and you go a little deeper than just saying, oh, I don't like the feeling of this. Let's just buy, you know, two backup generators or something like, you know, whatever it ends up being that you want to go through and you're kind of um, band-aiding it, you can still be missing a massive opportunity of, you know, what can we do if something like that happens for our people? What can, you know, bring our people to the table? You know, what are their ideas, suggestions? What do our partners think they can do to help us? You, you start to plan what we talk about, planning under blue skies. So it's a much nicer place to be and thinking about significant things. Don't let fear and concerns and even budget um, start to limit at least the thinking you know the thinking is the best place to be because you don't always have to put in complex or, or costly approaches but you can help to train your people to be part of your defense and respond in a certain way that means you are actually going to be in much better shape um, than what you would have been by not going through this kind of process so I always say to people you know actually there's a, a Joseph Campbell uh, saying, you know, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. That really is risk. The deeper you go into that that cave, the things that make you uncomfortable, bring the right people to the table to help you, and you will be really surprised of one what you can actually um, get as an outcome for both having that peace of mind that you have a not just a plan but something that you live and breathe. It's become part of who you are and your identity. It's in line with your identity and also your destination of where you want to go in your business. But it's based on a proper plan, not just a tick box, not just signing off and putting a piece of paper away and hope to God you never have to pull it out. Those things don't help. So um, there is, honestly, there is reward in the right type of effort. Mm. So you gave an example there of like a, having a generator, for example, because the power went out and, and then um, you, maybe you've got solar, maybe you've got solar batteries, maybe you've got generators. When you think about that and you think about um, your book, which risk starts and ends with people, is that your, when you, when you just think of that particular scenario, is that because you needed somebody to put it on the table and think about, when the power goes out so therefore it it was up to um a person to um identify that there was potential risk there in and i, and I know that that's very very simplistic but that, that is an issue for many organizations that yeah what what do they do when there's no they they turn no on the power, right right so I'll, I'll give you a slightly different example so i was having conversations with um some groups a little while ago um, in relation to power, because it was one we were talking about, but it was more around a failing of a, a power grid. It's a known grid that, or a state that has issues with power. It's unreliable, and every year they have issues around it. And so, uh, we, it's it's known. Um, and one of the things that we're not looking at it from the fact, oh, the power's gone out. What we were looking at it is from the importance of people the effect on individuals, whether they were people in homes. So, for example, there are certain people 
who are at home that require power because they might have some kind of uh, life-saving or life type of, um, you know, they have a health issue that requires this power supply to some sort of device or something that they have that can make a big difference to whether or not they will survive a, a power out, outage, right? So uh, whereas you've also got then somewhere it's more focused then towards businesses, you know, what is the implications? They might have massive freezes um, that's holding stock of something or there might be medical, uh, you know, it could be like hospitals and stuff. We know they have generators and different things. So, but what it, what it comes back to is looking at, it, at the layers of the importance. So if you're, for example, thinking of a power outage, outage within your organisation, the first thing you're doing is thinking about the safety well-being of your people, um, what it actually means to your business, and then you might be looking at it, how does that then uh, affect us in connecting to our customers? And, and then you're thinking about all the services we're providing to our customers. You, know, you mentioned before, being in the supply chain, it's about getting books to people. So an outage might be incredibly inconvenient for you to people to access maybe a website. But then again, if you're at a point where you're hosting it on a service where um, everybody else can get access except for the people on the grid who can't get you know, um, access to your web page or something like that, then that's a lot less than, you know, where if you've got someone who drops power and they've got $10,000 of stock or, you know, meat or some sort of um, produce that makes a different, it's a different kind of conversation. But the important thing is to make it relevant to you. And so if you're a large corporate, for example, and you've got an outage, you know, you, you might be thinking about it, how it affects people within a certain state and a demographic, again, back to their safety, and then how do we serve as customers? So just got to make sure it's, you know, goes on the table, thinking about those layers um, instead of trying to boil the ocean of it being anything more. So what I try and get people to do is just keep pulling it back, you know, because, I, as I said before, risk as one of those areas you can end up in a risk vortex. There's just so much noise You've got, um, you might have, um, for, you know, you might have areas where you have to report certain things, you know, due to compliance or some sort of um, expectation from an industry body or something like that. And so there can be so much noise, but we, we just pull it back. We get right back to what's so important. And then we start to work out how we build a, a plan and an approach and take actions and do things that give you a foundation so you can sleep at night a little bit better, right? So, you know, that regardless of what happens, that you have a team, it's not you having to show up, your team will be there to support you through this because you've got them connected, they understand their part, and these things become important, whether you're a small company or whether you're a massive global company. These simple concepts, um, they'll, they'll form slightly differently for everybody, but they become incredibly important in how you approach um, and respond to an incident or something that happens you, or avoid you, it. When I when I really and I'm, I'm being a bit cheeky now, but okay, I like cheeky. <laughs> um, you, you kind of like they talk about the oldest profession in the world um, uh, being, you know, prostitution, uh, but actually, um, risk consultants are older. That like, so uh, in, like the royal taster who had to taste the food before the king ate the food or the queen ate the food was was you know risk starts and ends with people right so it's like well yeah there's a situation where um where risk was being managed or even going back further the person who was on night watch for the saber-toothed tiger um in front of the cave right um 
risk starts and ends with people. So we've we've lived with it all of our, you know, through civilization. Risk is part part of it. Do you do you being a risk do risk consultants um, do they do they um, um, almost go? Do some of them go insane because they have <laughs> they have to kind of look at a chair before they sit down on a chair because they know if the chair one of the, the legs is faulty or do they do you know when you get like do you just constantly obsess about you know what are the risks or or do you kind of yeah you let it go <laughs> like this do some of them literally get and have to go to go to psychiatric ward because they have just simply obsessed so much about it that it's you become going to end ending and ending circles well, I think it's, it's it's funny that you you talk about this sort of area. So you're right, you know, as as a species, you know, and it's like many other species, threats and 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 things have been around us for forever. And we've we've actually um, drawn strength and working together as teams, right, to to help um, protect not only ourselves but others around us. Um, you know, we have gatherers, hunters, protectors. You know, all these things we build. Look what we've constructed through the generations. You know, we've gone from caves and you know, having people on watch and now we've got, like, seriously, the world we have today, it's incredible, right? We, we are remarkable as a species. We're innovative, we push boundaries, we create, and then we weaponize things we create. So we're really, you know, quite remarkable. We, we come up with great ideas and then we destroy them in other ways and we dilute the sort of value. But one of the things I always talk to um, people is that everybody's life's journey and, you know, their values, their beliefs and everything like that, but their experience and their predisposition is different. And that's the same with risk. And this is something that we do. We also talk about when we, we sit down with, with, with our clients because we're all going to interpret it slightly different. You know, we actually all interpret information slightly different because of that experience and, you know, and those values. And so, it means when I, I come across people who can have conflict um, because over words, when the, the challenge is that some people do actually fear risk more than others do. Some people embrace it, you know, walk into it. Um, I'd probably be one of those types of people because I've seen the potential of what can come from it, but I know the effort that's required to, to, to find those opportunities and to do that. Whereas others, it's just that whole idea of the consequences associated because some of them can be very significant. There can be real fear that comes out of it. And so what happens as a result, as we know with fear and the way that the brain tends to work, is it actually then limits your, your decision-making and a lot of other things that come with it. So how do you, this is why we keep talking about creating like a safe zone. So we can bring everybody on the journey in a way that things can get tabled without people having to fear things. And then we can actually have real conversations and break down some of the barriers, get rid of some of those misconceptions around different things and, and allow them to make more informed decisions. Because at the end of the day, when, when you have consultants that come in and work with you, you can't outsource your accountability and ownership of risk, uh, especially when you're in a, you would know this only too well, right, as, as I do. You can't outsource it. So don't try to, you know, like bring in people, be a little bit uncomfortable, but have the right kind of conversations so you can... Uh, open up, you know, dialogues and get your stakeholders so they all get to contribute so that the, the fears, the opportunities, everything can go on the table. And then based on the identity or the purpose or the mission of your organisation, department, whatever it may be, um, by focusing on that, then you really can start to change the discussion point on what you're trying to achieve 
and the decisions that you can then feel more comfortable in making around risk. And, you know, you throw in all the third-party influences, you know, whether you're, you've got compliance um, considerations or others, some other sort of third party that's going to be giving their two cents um, because that certainly adds additional stakes to the, you know, to the whole conversation. And so, but you get to sit down in a way that it no longer becomes this tedious and, you know, hard thing. You know, risk isn't, risk isn't, it's not a sexy thing. It's not a thing that people, you see people rushing out to go, oh, I want to talk about risk. I can't wait. Um, because we've, we have this habit of like risk is over there. Well, this is where the opportunity is when you actually bring, uh, you know, this approach of connecting to people and, and understanding the power of your people to actually help you manage this more effectively you're going to start changing your mindset around risk. Honestly, it's it's one of these things where I've worked with a range of people when they 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 come through the sort of process that we go through. You want to talk about light bulbs going off and then how they start to look at risk and that reduce sort of, I don't want to say reduce fear, but it's more around a desire to want to look at it because they see the value in doing the, the effort behind it. And that's what you want. You want people to, which is why I say, you know, risk is a pathway to opportunity and transformation. It really can be for people who want to embrace it the right way. So let's not fear it, because that's one of the things I do want to do is break down those sort of barriers around fearing it. Um, I've been called a risk rebel for a reason in a positive way is that, you know, we're here to say that this is something that you can benefit from, like really benefit from in ways you've never thought about before if you bring the right attitude, mindset, and perspective to risk. Mm. Um, risk rebel, that's... that's <laughs> I know. It's the only title I actually like people giving me now. When, when you your know. parents thought of you at, at home, um, you know, being a naughty girl. Never. Um, I wasn't that kid, actually. <laughs> that, therefore, they must be... Um, um, uh, uh, if they're, Are they still alive, your parents? Uh, so uh, my mum is, um, though she's not well, um, and unfortunately, um, my father, my stepfather, passed many years ago. So, um, but in in all honesty, my my upbringing wasn't the greatest. I've I didn't have a, a a family environment that was as safe as what it should have been. You know, for a lot of kids, I didn't have it. So, all through my life. I've been very aware of challenges and, and understanding what risk means and behaviours of people and, and different things like that. And as a result, um, you know, without meaning to, I went in a range of directions and it kept drawing me back to where I am, which is why people who have actually heard my personal story um, have said I'm right where I need to be. And so, which is why there's been a lot of support too, um, because mine is not a straightforward oh I wanted to get into risk uh, when I you know at some point I it's been around me it's been drawing me back in, in a different in a range of different ways and so there's a lot of life's experience and skills and uh, working with people who are similar and so as a result that's why our partner ecosystem is so important to me because you know we we are if you, if you know Seth Godin you know people like us do things like this we are drawn to a common goal our mission is to create a safer world we just happen to do that through one organization one community one person at a time that's our attitude and um and so the people around us are in that same sort of focus around wanting to make a difference that risk is around us but we can use it as a way to do greater things so um we should look to find ways to embrace it in a more positive way Mm. Wish we had more time to 
to go into that. Thank you for sharing that uh, with us. Um, uh, I guess people will want to find out more about Lisa and her and her personal passion. In fact, um, Lisa Sisson, it says here, is a woman on a mission. So it's a Sisson mission. Um, uh, a, a risk rebel. Um, her book, Risk Starts and Ends with People, Demystifying Risk. Uh, risk for executive and leaders. I think this has been a great uh, provocative conversation to get people uh, perhaps considering buying your book. Please go out there if if you want to, uh, in your lives, who are listening today, think about practical um, solutions that will help transformation and create opportunities, which is what Lisa talks about. And I, I totally understand that having um, been in business now for 25 years, know what that feels like and means um wish we had more time thank you so much for coming on the program and congratulations on on, on unpacking your brain so you could you could give us uh, this artifact for us to hold on to and and read thank you so much tony for having me i really appreciate the opportunity hmm. if you want to uh, reach out to lisa uh, her website is www.unearth.com.au and you can get in touch and she's available for consulting work and and um, maybe that's a great way of, of continuing, continuing the conversation further. Thanks for coming on the program. Speak soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au